This is a No Land in Sight podcast production. Welcome to Is That Movie Still Good? The podcast where we take a movie from the past, give it a thorough rewatching, and decide, is that movie still good? I'm Jim Noland, and along with Nate Grushon, this week we're going to metaphorically pull that old suit out of the closet, try it on, and see if it's still in style. This week, our October Halloween special, 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula. So sit back and relax as we answer the question, is that movie still good? All right, let's do this. Is that movie still good? I'm Jim Noland, and Nate is here alongside, and we're going to talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. Um, so, Nate, let's get started. Uh, the first time you saw it, what would you think of this one? Oh, I've always loved this movie. I thought it was uh, really well done. Um, it's another one that's just really timeless, another period piece type movie, so it doesn't get caught up in you know current genres or, or fads or anything like that. Uh, this is really, I think, the first showing of Gary Oldman, at least at this large of a stage, and the talent that he has. You know, we'd seen him a little bit uh, in some side roles, but I think here we really saw his range as an actor, playing both a younger man and then the older Dracula. You know, you had two of the big young stars with Winona Ryder and uh, Keanu Reeves. You had, you know, a knight, you know, Sir Anthony Hopkins. So, you know, it was, it was all around good. Matter of fact, when Blu-rays came out, and whenever that was 10, 15 years ago, this was actually one of the first movies I bought on Blu-ray. So I have to, in, in, in full disclosure, I have seen this movie in the last 20 years, but it was probably been about 10 years ago or so. But I, I really enjoyed it, Jim. So I, the first time I saw this movie... I uh, saw it in the theater when it came out. I had a good friend who was really into the vampire stories, and a bunch of us went and saw it, and I liked it when I saw it. Um, the, the thing that struck me, a couple of scenes really stood out to me. The, the, the opening sequence, I thought, was just absolutely fantastic the first time I saw it. Uh, I probably have not watched this movie once since I saw it in the theater, and I wasn't sure how much I would like it, but in the rewatching. I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved everything about it, and it stands up really, really well. Yeah, that opening scene's strong. At the time, I didn't know who Vlad the Impaler was or Impaler. And this goes back, of course, to the book that Bram Stoker wrote, but that kind of connection to an actual event, but then tying it into a fictional character who's supernatural on top of that... I mean, obviously, it's the story of Dracula. It's one of the most famous stories of all time. You know, we're probably right behind Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as far as the most done kind of villain. The gothic sort of uh, horror style uh, book and movie. And this one is, I think, uh, comparatively speaking, the most true to the original novel. Um, Or if not most true, very closely true to it. Obviously, Coppola took some liberties with this. um, But this one... And we can get into some other things as we go, but this was really the first one that took the sexuality uh, piece of the Dracula story and brought it to the screen. When you think of this movie, you think horror. Right. You know, violence, eternal life, all that type of stuff. But at at its essence, it's a romance. Yes, this movie is about love, passion, and sensuality. That's really the story there behind, that, that, that the story's all about. Yeah, and, that, and going back to that opening scene, he comes back, he finds out his you know wife killed herself because she had been given misinformation about um, Vlad dying, and he you know, renounces Christ. Now, you do realize, I mean, obviously everybody knows that's Winona Ryder in that opening scene that plays his wife, but you know the priest is Anthony Hopkins. The priest is Anthony Hopkins. He plays two roles in this movie. Right. Um, so, and then the, the, the battle scene is, is pretty cool, too, and it, it reminds me a little bit of 300. I mean, not exactly. I mean, it's a different style, but just the red background, the shadows of the fighting, the 
you know, killing people, decapitation, impaling, all those types of things. And it really kind of sets this tone because we see that red sky multiple times throughout the movie. And so, you know, and, and really no sky is ever that red. Right, right. <laughs> but it, it, it sets this kind of tone. It creates this thread that we see throughout the movie where you might have see Dracula up in the sky, you know, shadows, but the, this omnipresence mm-hmm. that Dracula has. And, uh, you know, one of the things I loved about that uh, opening sequence, I mean, it's beautiful to watch. And as I was watching it, I, I realized some of the sort of elementary style of the characters fighting with the shadow. And originally, I think Coppola wanted to use, like, shadow puppets to do that. But it ended up playing out perfectly. And an interesting thing about this movie, Coppola did not want to use any modern special effects. He wanted to have it all sort of an old-school style of visual. And even the scene, like, where they're riding on the train and you see Dracula's eyes above Keanu Reeves, it's all done via multiple camera shots and camera layering. None of it is, um, like, the modern Star Wars special effects, which, uh, as you go back and watch the movie and think about that, that's that's a pretty awesome thing. And it, it, it does tie it into sort of the um, original Nosferatu film, which was the inspiration for the style that Coppola wanted to use in this film. Yeah, and so, you know, Vlad, the, the real guy, um, and even in the movie, the movie starts in 1462. Vlad lived roughly 1429 to 1477. And, and something interesting, his dad was named Vlad Dracul. Right, right. And the, the Order of the Dracul was a real thing. Yeah. That was and, a real thing. Right. And, and uh, the Romanian translation for Dracula is dragon. Right. So uh, a lot of things going on. But before we move away from this opening scene, I, I just have to mention one thing. Is his armor not some of the coolest armor you've ever seen in film? Uh, badass. <laughs> I mean, I loved it. I mean, the first time I saw it, because it's this, it's almost like sinewy muscle. And it's that, that struck me immediately. The first time I watched it, and again this time. Yeah, no, it's great. So that, so that opening scene ends, and then we move to what would be current state, which of course is not current, but we move to London in 1897, and we're introduced first to the crazy guy played by Tom Waits. Right, right. Um, that was Renfield. Yeah, Renfield. And you know, I, I've never read the book, I have to admit, and maybe he plays a bigger role in the book. I really don't see the need for this character in this movie. I mean, all he ever does is sit around going, oh, my master's coming. You know, I need something for my master. And then, you know, at the end, Dracula just comes and beats his head into the jail cell and kills him. Do you know who uh, Coppola wanted to play that role? No. Steve Buscemi. Oh, that would have been Wouldn't good. Wouldn't that have been better? Uh, that would have been better. I mean, nothing against Tom Wayne. Right, I mean, but, he's a talented guy, and he's done some good acting. But if you've got a weird music. dude in, a, in an asylum, isn't Steve Buscemi your man? I, he, I think he fits that bill. Buscemi turned it down. Oh, well, you know. I don't know. I wonder what he was doing then. I didn't look <laughs> that up. Uh, so then we move over. So Renfield, we find out he was the kind of um, the lawyer uh, of Dracula, and Dracula's doing all these trans- transactions where he's buying a property in London. Mm-hmm. So now Renfield's gone crazy. So now we're introduced to Keanu, who's a young lawyer, you know, wanting to move up the corporate ladder. And uh, his boss asks Keanu to take over this account in Romania. So next thing we know, we have that scene you just mentioned where Keanu is on the train. He's leaving Winona Ryder. Uh, that character's name is Mina. Behind, they're going to get married when they come when they when he comes back. But you know, he goes there, and it's kind of an odd introduction to the castle, don't you think? Right. Yes. Yes. But, you know, it starts with when he's in the stagecoach. So you have the train first, and then he gets there and he gets into a stagecoach. And as he's getting out of the stagecoach, 
some lady like hands him, I don't know, a, 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 hands him a cross and says, for the dead travel fast. Not sure what, exactly what that mm-hmm. means. But then we get our first kind of really creepy scene when Dracula's coach pulls up in the, the whatever the person's called that's driving the coach, or the coach, uh, just reaches over with those long skinny fingers and just kind of pulls him in. And, and then they get to the castle and, and Keanu walks into the castle. He's looking around. They go through like some blue smoke cloud or something. And, and Keanu's character, John, is actually pretty cool at this point. I think I would have been a lot more freaked out. I would have been freaked out. But he is very cool, and he's he's going along, doing his business. He's, he's standing there with his uh, early 1990s haircut, which, by the way, uh, come on. I mean, it's it's long in the front and a little shaved out in the back. It's uh-huh. not, 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 not era-appropriate. Now, by the end of the movie, it's all grown out, and it is era-appropriate, but it was kind of weird. But, yes, anyway, to your point about the castle, uh, he is he's very cool. Um He's going to sit down and have some dinner. Dracula's going to feed him. And Dracula says, I never drink wine, which is a line that's been used several times in Dracula movies and in some other things, too. It's super creepy, but he's just kind of going about his business, and he's ready to make some land deals and uh, get some money and get home to his wife. Yeah, and I, I don't know about you, but when I when I first see the Gary Oldman, Oldman Dracula character in that scene... I totally think of the emperor, emperor from Star Wars. Oh yeah, like yeah. they're like like separated it's, at birth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Except for back to the last cooler clothes. <laughs> right, 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 and hair. <laughs> and hair. Yeah. Uh, it just made me think of that. Maybe there's the same makeup guy. Who knows? Uh, and Dracula, you know, you're talking about the scene where he, he says he doesn't drink wine. This is kind of a weird scene because everything seems to be chill and. Keanu, John, sees a picture that he thinks is an ancient relative, and obviously it's just him from a couple hundred years ago, and Dracula goes into this big spiel about how he's a proud man, proud family, all that kind of stuff, and then I don't even know what Keanu says, but like the next thing you know, Dracula's just like throwing swords at him, and Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he, he says something about, um, he kind of chuckles about something that he said, and he's like, that's not a laughing matter. Yeah, you think after 400 years he would have developed some patience. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> maybe not, I don't know. And, and, and here's one, another one of those cool things. So we talked about the eyes in the sky. What about the shadow? Yeah, so the shadow stuff is amazing. And the first time I watched it, I, I really don't remember understanding it. I just thought it was this creepy Dracula situation where he is... His spirit is doing something uh, or whatever. Um, but Coppola came up with this theory, this idea, um, that when you're in the presence of a being like Dracula, the laws of physics don't work the way that we have them in our normal world. And so that is his explanation as to how the shadows shift and move and and don't follow Dracula as they normally would. Very Peter Panish. Yeah, yeah. yeah just kind of a free-form free shadow kind of doing its own thing apart from its... Host, right? Yeah, yeah, right, right, and yeah. it's it's it adds to this eeriness of the castle sequences where the shadow is not behaving as its owner would. Now, I, I did struggle a little bit, and you know, not knocking Oldman, he's he's a fantastic actor. I, I wish he would have enunciated a little bit better. You know, he had that really super heavy accent. Yeah, yeah. And there were parts where I was like, I don't know what you're saying, man. Right. You know, he uh, actually had a voice coach, a vocal singing coach work with him to get his voice down an octave so he had this deeper voice when he was doing this Dracula and maybe that cut into some of that enunciation like you're talking about yeah uh, and you know he's talking to Keanu which is the most <laughs> yeah, it's not very very reciprocal right, intellectual right. conversation to be yeah. with. I mean <laughs> just being honest about it yeah uh, so so they're sitting around in the castle and, and this is really kind of what stirs that initial kind of romance because yeah, and this is kind of something in the story that was just kind of weird so obviously you know the the Tom Waits character had gone crazy but he, so then Keanu, Keanu shows up 
And then Dracula sees the picture of Mina, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, that's my reincarnated wife. He freaks out. He knocks over the inkwell, and it spills ink all over the, the yeah. table and over the picture. And, and, and that's, where that's, that's where it goes to that kind of romance story, but it does kind of make me go, well, what, what drove the other guy so crazy? Right. To me, I, I couldn't connect the dots on that one, once again, why I don't think that that Renfield character really serves much of a purpose in this. So let's talk a little bit about some of our, our supporting actors or, or okay. smaller roles. Yes, yes. So we eventually meet Lucy. Right. Who's, who's a friend of Mina's, mm-hmm. and that's who Mina is staying with while John's in, in Transylvania. And quickly, do you know who the first choice to play Lucy was? I do not. It was Juliette Lewis. Oh, really? Yes. We just did her movie, uh, Cape Fear, last week, and uh, she was actually the first choice to play Lucy. But ultimately, she was busy. And uh, I think she was uh, moving into Natural Born Killers by then. Probably so. Uh, we talked about it last week, so you'll have to re-listen to last week's broadcast, and you can figure out what she was up to at the time. So there's these three guys, the suitors, I call them, right. that are trying to m- meet up and marry Lucy. Yes. Once again, I'm not really sure why these characters are really around. I, well, we're, they're going to have to have a posse to go kill Dracula, so we've got to introduce some guys that can go along with Van Helsing when they go back to Transylvania. That's true. So you got a big cowboy guy. Yep. And, and he's played by Billy Campbell. Never heard of him. Nope. Um, then you have Jack, who just coincidentally is the doctor at the asylum that Reinhardt's at. Mm-hmm. Uh, never seen this guy. His name is Richard Grant. Never, never really seen him. I'm sure he's been in other things. But then you have Arthur, who's played by Carrie. Like Carrie always, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just kept like somebody to go say something to him and, as you wish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and with those three guys, Coppola had them go on adventures together in in pre production before they started filming, um, doing horseback riding and hot air balloon trips and and little adventures to build camaraderie between those three so that they would have a better presence in the film. So so let's take a, a little break from the plot. I know you typically have some kind of interesting kind of questions that kind of pull together the movie, whether it's how it compares to other movies from this time or other genres or maybe some of the key actors. I think we've already established who the key actors are in this movie, and it's a decent cast, not as good as last week's cast. No, it's a great cast. The cast is, is, is fine. When I sat down to watch this movie, the first thing I thought was, Whose movie is this? I don't remember whose movie this is. And I guess in the end it's Gary Oldman's movie. But the other characters are good. So we had Anthony Hopkins, of course, playing Van Helsing. And I think that he's the only character that you could conceive of being nominated for any awards. He was not. Uh, The supporting actors that year were Gene Hackman for Unforgiven, Jack Nicholson for A Few Good Men, Al Pacino uh, for Glengarry Glenn Ross... Uh, David Paymer for Mr. Saturday Night, and uh, uh, Jay Davidson for Crying Game. And, I mean, you, you could throw him in there, but yeah. I don't think he was better than any of those guys. No, especially not the first three. I think the right, first three, right. I mean, you know, that, the few good men, Jack Nicholson's a very iconic character. Right. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is a fabulous movie. Great movie. Great, great movie. movie. If you've never great. seen it, uh, go, go see it, especially if you're in sales or something yeah. like that. Quintessential sales movie. Yeah, exactly. What was it? Coffee's for Closers or something like that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. great. Alec Baldwin, I think. <laughs> yeah, Alec Baldwin. All right, All right so I, I'm going to admit something, and, I, and it probably will upset some of our listeners. I'm not a big Anthony Hopkins fan. Never have. Um, it's just when I when I and he's done some fine things, mm-hmm. but and maybe it's my American bias. But when I think of his contemporaries, I can easily pop off ten, if not twenty, people I think are better than him. Right. I, I won't argue with you on that. I like Anthony Hopkins. I thought he was great in Silence of the Lambs. It jump started the back end of his career, as we talked about last week. But then he ultimately ends up playing similar characters, I think, in a lot of his roles. And this was a big time for him. You know, he, he just, he'd done Silence of the Lambs in 91. 
Now this guy's prolific. I mean, he he'll put out like he's four or five like movies crazy. a year. Now, granted, it might it might be smaller roles, but he he did he did Silence of the Lambs in '91, won all those awards, every you know, worldwide fame, and he jumps right back in in '92. And granted, I realize that these movies were probably already in production, but he does Free Jack. Now, was that Emilio Estevez's last movie in front of the camera? I know he's been behind the camera since then. It may have been. I don't know. I can't remember yeah. him being anything after that. Right, and he and he's working. I think he just decided to get behind the camera. Anyway, Spotswood, which I've never heard of that movie, Howard's End, which I've never seen it but I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Then Dracula in 92, also in 92, he's in Chaplin, which I'm assuming is the Robert Downey Jr. Right, Chaplin right, movie. right. He did five movies that year. So it's, you know, busy guy. Yeah. A lot of exposure, but, you know, Jack Nicholson, Clint Eastwood, Robert Redford, you know, Nero, some of the other people we've talked about. Um, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, for example, I don't know if you would call Hopkins contemporary, but Daniel Day-Lewis had already won an Oscar two years before he did. Right, right. Uh, so I just... I don't know. There's just something about him. He 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 doesn't sell me as a true lead. I, I think that's fair. Um, but in this one, he's a, a supporting actor, and I think he plays it very well. And the thing that I found interesting about this character, as Coppola wrote and directed him, is he almost has this Indiana Jones-like quality. He's a little more swashbuckling than I would have thought uh, Van Helsing to be, even with the fedora hat and some of his quips and and when he's teaching at the seminary or not the seminary but the college and he's talking about syphilis civilization civilization yeah it's it's, uh, you know there's just this this i don't know his character was sort of han solo indiana jones that's kind of what i got from that character which was an interesting play on it i thought well and and here's something that i I found fascinating too so bram stoker the the writer of course you know his name's abraham because, you know, and, every, and I guess every Abraham goes by Bram. I don't know. Maybe that was big back then. But yeah, Bram was, Lincoln was just the... Yeah, he went by Abe. Yeah. So maybe maybe he, he wanted to go a different way with <laughs> right. it. Who knows? But Van Helsing's first name is Abraham. Okay. So Bram Stoker writes this book, this classic book, that the hero has the same name. Do you, so do we think there's some kind of writer ego going on there? Oh, that's a great point. Very good point. Uh, I had not thought about that. I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I... I you know, writers tend to do that from time to time. On the subject of ego, quickly, I, I do think this is a story about love and sex, but I think it's also a little bit about the ego of the vampire. Be- because this is a guy who's willing to live forever and under torturous conditions just so he can find this woman that he loves and who loved him, and somehow he thinks she's still going to love him at some point later in eternity when he finds her. And even with the ego going back to his rant and denying God and taking up union with the devil, he's angry at God because he's gone out there fighting for God and he's come home and his girl has thrown herself from the balcony. And so how could you do this to me? Again, it's like, dude, it's not all about you. Like, are you think you're the only dude that that's happened to? Right. You think the only dude in the crusades who came back and your wife wasn't there or wasn't shacked up with some lord in, a, in another castle right. somewhere, dude? Yeah, well, and, and I've always wondered why the cross is so damaging to Dracula. You know, the garlic still doesn't make any sense. Maybe you have some insight into that. But the he renounces God. Right. And he renounces Christianity, so you'd think the cross would just be like, yeah, you know, right. but it has this, like, magical power. But go ahead, kind of going back to... <laughs> it, it would be like if the Mormons came and knocked on your door. Okay, hey guys, what's up? Yeah, see ya. See ya, bye. Give it the office. The the ego of that character, do you really think that he's been spending these 400 years looking for the reincarnation of his bride? I mean, like, what was he doing, like, during the 1700s? Right, I mean, right. Did he come over to America and, like, kind of help, you know, do anything with the revolution, you know, or maybe with the French Revolution? I mean, what, what was he doing during all that time? Yeah, great question. 
I go. I mean, I go to Florence maybe during the Renaissance. Right. Uh, I mean, he had a, a, a stable full of ladies, so I guess he was charming and wooing them and bringing them back to the castle well, and looking for the, the right one. Well, and the funny thing was, you know, we, we were introduced to those three girls in what I think is probably the best scene in the movie, and I, I didn't really know. I just was calling them vampires. You know, right. I was taking my notes. But they're actually credited in the movie as Dracula's bride. Yes, yes. Yeah, so, you know, and, and thinking about that scene, so there's a scene where Keanu, he's at the castle. Dracula's told him he has to stay at least a month. So he's starting to feel a little trapped, but for mm-hmm. all intents and purposes, you know, John, the character John, is still kind of chill about everything. And he's shaving himself with a straight blade, and like po- Dracula pops up in the room and comes right up behind his back, and the mirror crash cracks mm-hmm. because, you know, I guess that's what vampires do. They crack mirrors, which makes you wonder why there's a mirror in the house in the first place. Right. And apparently he had not been in that room in 400 years, mm-hmm. but that mirror would have already been broken. But regardless, you get the whole scene, uh, and we were talking about Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs and the real famous kind of yeah. slurping scene. You get a very similar scene here because Keanu cuts himself and then Dracula takes the blade and kind of turns around and kind of slurps the blood yeah. off of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that scene, um, that scene was shot late at night after midnight, and Gary Oldman was drunk when they shot that scene. And uh, <laughs> so, just a, a, an interesting tidbit about that scene. And again, that scene, they, um, Coppola uses one of the oldest tricks in cinema. In that one, again, not wanting to use any uh, high tech special effects, but the mirror, there's no mirror there. The person, the actor that you see their back is Keanu's double, and Keanu's actually standing on the other side of the wall in the mirror to be the reflection. Oh, that's interesting. Huh, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then when we talk about the cross, so Dracula sees a cross, he freaks out, and now Keanu is kind of starting to go, hey, this is a weird place. What's going on? You're holding me captive. Yeah, it, it, this kind of is the first time that, that Keanu starts to just realize, okay, this is kind of a jacked up situation. This, I thought this was weird, but now we're going to the next level. Right, and and then and then the scene kind of shifts a little bit, and all of a sudden Keanu is looking out the window, and Dra- And I, I remember this scene from the first time I saw the movie, the whole Dracula crawling yes, sideways yes. on the building. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then, and then, which is just kind of a really neat kind of cool scene. Then Keanu decides, well, you know, I'm gonna. this place is really freaking me out, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go explore it. Well, and that's, and so that's, what, that's in my notes from watching it because Dracula tells him, don't do this, don't go here, don't check this stuff out. And you're in the creepiest place that you could possibly even imagine. So what are you going to do? I'm going to go check it all out. I'm going to go in all these rooms where I'm not supposed to go. Yeah, and, and, and so the, he's exploring, he finds a chest with some potions in it. Then he walks into this room, and remember, this is all one continuous scene from when he starts shaving. Right. And he walks in this room, and there's kind of a bed or like a satin sheet laying mm-hmm. on the ground. And I don't know why, but he decides to lay down in it. And then all of a sudden, the brides start coming through and start biting on him. Mm-hmm. Pretty erotic scene. It, very erotic. Again, the sexuality of Dracula, the Dracula story coming out there. And they're, and they're licking him, and then, you know, boom, Dracula pops in. And he yells at the girls, you know, get off of him. And, and the strange thing is when Dracula comes in and the brides get scared they kind of all scatter off and one of them's like two girls in one which was just really was super freaky. weird yes. super weird super freaky but you know they, they don't they're not scared to death of dracula well, no one they're already dead but one of the girls says to dracula you yourself never loved and then they're talking in a different language that kind of different language is that romanian is it a real language is it a dracula i don't language? know yeah it was some some language i didn't recognize and, and dracula says back to the girl he says yes i too can love and i shall love again and and once again kind of building on that foundation and that premise of this is really a love story mm-hmm and the brides are kind of upset because they were kind of wanting to feast on Keanu mm-hmm. a little bit. But Dracula's a nice guy. He pulls out a baby. 
I don't know where he got the baby from. Maybe he just has like a just like a little baby just door a, somewhere. Yeah, just, just pocket baby. Pocket baby. He pulls out the pocket baby and gives it to the girls who, of course, are going to like eat that baby. Yes. Whatever. And then, and of course, they flash back to Keanu, who's flipping out now. He's yeah. completely freaked out. And then we get probably one of the another one of the most iconic scenes of the movie where Gary Oldman does this super evil villainous Dracula laugh that's just cackling. Yes. Just, it's great. Just fantastic. And I think it's that scene. There's one scene where they, they do a shot of him kind of like with black all around just with his, his face there. And it's very reminiscent of a couple of shots that Coppola did with Marlon Brando as Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. Well, let's talk, let's talk about Coppola a little bit. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, the guy's legendary director. Where do you think this one stacks up on his... That's a great... So I, that's, that's on my list of questions. Uh, Sorry, I stole your thunder. No, you're good. I, I went through. For the acclaim that Coppola has for a director, his list of great movies is fairly short. Godfather, Godfather 2, Apocalypse Now, The Conversation... And past that, it's there's a lot of unremarkable stuff. And he worked really hard in the '80s. He was turning out movie after movie after movie. But most of them are unremarkable. Well, like, uh, the Outsiders is good. Yeah, the Outsiders. He yep. did Rumblefish, Cotton Club, Peggy Sue Got Married, Tucker, The Rainmaker. Was that was Dracula the last great movie he made? It, yes, yes, I, I, for I sure. agree. And that was '92, and that's got to be hard because it's like you. I mean. You have three of the most iconic movies, two of the best movies of all time on pretty much anybody's list. It's, that, that's setting the, lot, uh, setting the line pretty high. Yeah, he, pretty he high. peaked early, and his studio was in dire straits financially, and this movie saved it. And uh, otherwise, it probably would have uh, would have been some bankruptcy situation. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, and he was a part of that um, that whole crew. You know, the Lucas, the, the, the new Spielberg, Hollywood crew, the new Hollywood crew. Yes. And I, and I think though, if you think of what I mean, you, you you talk about Lucas and Star Wars, and I think that's pretty much unmatched. And Spielberg's done like great things, but even within the Spielberg movies, which there's been a lot more better movies than Coppola ever did, I think the foundations that Coppola laid with The Godfather and Apocalypse Now, and even to some degree Dracula. I, I think it's just foundation for future movies. Yes, yes. To answer your question, though, I would put this one fourth. I would put it behind uh, the, the first two Godfathers and Apocalypse Now. And yeah. I would probably put it fourth. I, I, yeah, and, and I think anybody that with that – now, maybe they might put something else ahead of it. Because I, I think The Outsiders is great, but I do, I do think Dracula is a little bit better. But uh, fourth or fifth, I mean, this is it's not better than either Godfather. And no. I know Apocalypse Now is not for everybody, so some people might put it above Apocalypse Now. But if you have his, this as his number one movie, then you need to go watch The Godfather again. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so I, I, it's awesome that you graduated high school last year. Now go watch The Godfather. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and, and, and it's funny because you think about Coppola, too. He's, you know, he's got all these, these family ties. I think he's, you know, Sophie's, Sophie's been in some movies. And, of course, I think a lot of people know Nick Cage mm-hmm. as his nephew, which, you know, I don't know why, but I've always found that very interesting. Yeah, me too. Uh, now, here's something I did not know. He actually co-wrote the screenplay to Patton. Yes. He won an I, Oscar for Best yes, Original Screenplay. Yes. The George C. Scott movie, which is a fantastic movie. Great movie. Great um, movie. And, he, and, and here's something else. You know, I, I kind of like to do the research and looking up how many times people have won Oscars and been nominated. And I kind of gave up after about five or ten minutes because it's just it's, there's so many. He's, mm-hmm. he's very well acclaimed. But when you think that that main body of work was through really about a ten-year period. Yeah, 72 through 79 or 80. And that, that's the, the yeah. big bulk of that. And, and you know maybe it was just a, a sign of the times. Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and his uh, style just didn't. 
resonate or didn't evolve mm-hmm. uh, align with you know the, the movie viewers and critics. And interesting one about this, I knew last time we talked about the score. The music in this one is a guy I've never heard of, and I'm sure I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but it's like Wojciech Kyler or Killier. Really long career. If you read through his movies that he's been a part of, uh, doing the conducting and scores for, the only one he had a piece in The Truman Show, just one piece. But everything else is foreign film. Mm-hmm. And it, it got me thinking, did Coppola seek this person out specifically because he wanted that kind of Eastern European vibe to the soundtrack, to the score. And I think that's definitely there. You can definitely hear the Eastern European vibe. You can hear some of the uh, classical influences of that era, I think, in the score. Now, I like the score an awful lot in this one. And we talked about last week how we hated the score in Cape Fear. But this one I loved. And from the beginning, you get an ominous strain that's going to be repeated throughout the movie, but it's not in your face all the time. And once we get through that initial sequence where Vlad becomes Dracula and we get settled into the meat of the story, it settles into a more classic score with that ominous strain coming through at times when it's necessary. So I thought the score in this is just pitch perfect for what the movie was. Well, you know, I I would agree. It reminded me of like a good umpire in a baseball game. I didn't really notice you. you I, I, no, I noticed you were doing your job and you made the game go, but, you know, it wasn't about you. Right, right. And and, and so I, and I thought that felt well because, you know, once again, we're trying to portray this movie where we're trying to intertwine, you know, eternal life. We're trying to intertwine love. We're trying to intertwine, intertwine insanity. You know, there's a lot at play from an emotional standpoint, and you don't want to get that crushed under, you know, the notes on a sheet of music. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So let's go back to, let's go to scenes. Let's keep work. let's work to another scene because I know that you, one that you really liked was the sequence where Dracula as the werewolf beast has finally come back for Lucy and uh, what's going on there and, and, and the marrying of that scene with the actual marriage of Jonathan and Mina. Yeah, well, let's set that up a little bit, you know, because well, first Dracula comes to London. Yeah. And so there's a strange scene where they're digging dirt. He has these gypsies working for him because, you know, what vampire doesn't have a bunch of gypsies working for him? <laughs> Maybe that's why they didn't have anything else in the castle. Maybe they stole everything in the midst of all the work in it. <laughs> do, do, do gypsies steal from each other? I, I don't know. Code? I don't know gypsy code. code? Maybe. <laughs> gypsy code? Uh, if, if you know gypsy code, tweet at us. We'd love to hear it. Yeah. So anyway, they're digging the dirt out from under the castle and they're packing it up and then he's going on a boat because he's going to go to London. Apparently, I think, you know, to go see Nina. Uh, that's what I think, because he has John trapped in the castle. But do you did you understand the significance of the dirt? Why it had to be Transylvania dirt? I missed that somehow. Yes, because um, the vampire has to sleep in the dirt from his home country, his native soil. He has to sleep within that uh, in order to rest. Hmm. So that's that's the whole the the importance of the Transylvanian soil coming over in all these crates. Okay. And one of the theories as to why he was built buying all these homes and properties in London and with all this soil was that he was going to have multiple spots in London where he could spend the day, basically. Right. Well, and the, so when he gets to London, it's it's pretty cool. So you have the, kind of this opening scene where where Mina and Lucy they're at Lucy's house and and Lucy kind of gets hypnotized and goes out. Into the like garden right, labyrinth, right, right, and then Mina notices that she's missing, and she tries to follow him. There's like a rainstorm, and Mina turns a corner, and in this like courtyard on a bench, there's a werewolf going to town, going to just town. going to town. Yeah, Lucy, and the werewolf looks over and sees Mina, and you know freaks out. So we kind of have this like weird scene, but then I think one of the other really cool scenes is then the next day we're in London during daytime, and this is our first look. 
other than the first five, ten minutes of the movie, at the young Dracula. Right. So quickly, I want to go back to the, the, the scene with Dracula and Lucy in the, in the garden, in the courtyard. One of my favorite shots in that scene is when Dracula looks over at Mina and says, do not see me. And yes. then all of a sudden she forgets that there was this werewolf there mounting her friend. Right. Um, I love that. Yeah. And but anyway, you're right. So we get back into London, and it's you see Gary Oldman as this young Count Dracula. And one of the things about that whole sequence that struck me, and I, I love it when a director does this, is it's almost all grays, neutrals, blacks, white, except the infusion of color that is Mina's green dress and Dracula's sort of bluish purple. Glasses. Well, it's it's very steampunk, you know, late late nineteenth century London industrial era, mm-hmm. and it's just and, and when that first initially you go to that scene, it's also really kind of grainy filming. Yeah. It's yeah. it's kind of an interesting technique that makes it seem like it's almost kind of like on an old like you know you know real real type movie, uh, and, and then you know Dracula finds a reason to talk to Mina, wants to you know. Meet her, get to know her. She doesn't want to have anything to do with it at first. She finally changes her mind. So they go to a cinema and they kind of meet and they kind of first start talking. And this is where we see Mina starting to respond to Dracula and give him that kind of reciprocation that he wanted. Right. So that whole sequence, I realized the importance of it. But one of my problems with that scene is she rebuffs him initially and she continues to rebuff him. But then it's awfully convenient that she just decides to go and hang out with him as this woman in... London at that era, and this stranger walks up to you, and his look is so radically different from everybody there mm-hmm. that it, st- it sticks out like a sore thumb. So I get we've got to get there, and we can't spend a lot of time getting there, but it was just really neat and tidy how we got to those two deciding to spend the afternoon yeah, together. And we, and we switch back to the castle where John's still being held captive, and at this point, the the, the brides, Dracula's brides, are back all, all over him. And he says something along the lines of, they're sucking my blood out, not enough to kill me, but enough to keep me weak. Yep. So they're kind of back there holding. And then we go, we cut back to London. And now all of a sudden, like real quickly, it was like a Tinder date, I guess. You know, Dracula <laughs> and like Mina are like sitting down drinking some absinthe and, and having dinner. Yeah. And, and, we, and we get this thing where now Mina's like, oh, his voice is so familiar. Your voice is like a voice in a dream I can't place. In my notes from the movie, by the way, when I was watching, I just wrote down, and then... Absent. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the absent back then was legit. Was legit. So you know, they're probably tripping by now for sure. She it, is at least. She is at least. He's he's probably got a pretty high tolerance to that type of stuff. But Dracula tells Mina about his wife, and it makes Mina cry. And Dracula swipes away the tear and opens his palm and turns their tears into diamonds. Right, right. Which is a nod to the original Beauty and the Beast film from the forties. Mm-hmm. And, and and now back in Transylvania, John actually finds a way and escapes the castle yes. and ends up at a convent. And so this kind of we establish this kind of love relationship, or maybe not love, but this kind of budding relationship between Mina and Dracula. Which, of course, is what Dracula's always been waiting for. But then all of a sudden, Mina gets noticed. John's alive. He's safe. He's mm-hmm. in a convent. And she's like, hey, Dracula, dude, I got to go see my man back in Romania. And Dracula flips out. Right. And, and and it's just, you know, another one of those scenes where, you know, how many times in the 400 years has Dracula thought that maybe he had met his reincarnated wife mm-hmm. only to have his heart broken? Right. Um, so now we're getting to that scene that you, you mentioned a little bit earlier. Mina's with Keanu. Yes. They're at the church there in Romania. They're starting their wedding ceremony. And at the same time, back in London, Dracula's t- 
turned himself back into a werewolf and is back in Lucy's room, pretty much killing her at this point. Right. And we didn't talk about this, but after he had gotten with Lucy, bit her neck, sucked her, drank her blood, she slowly descended into this weak state and into this state where she was becoming a vampire. Mm -hmm. And this is at the point which Van Helsing gets called over. This is just finishing it off. This is just making Lucy undead. uh, Right. And basically finishing off her earthly, normal life and turning her into the devil's concubine, as Anthony Hopkins called her. Right, exactly. And so, you know, she dies and she gets into a casket and, and, and all this is happening, like, you know, well, well, the initial attack, if you want to call it that, is happening while they're saying their vows at their wedding and it's just this camera work back and forth, back and forth, back and forth of these two things ha- happening simultaneously, these two very dramatic events that show the love... Of John and Mina, mm-hmm. which we'll find out later in the movie, isn't as strong as we think. And then Dracula being upset that she's left and taking it out on Lucy. Mm-hmm. And I think we kind of see that, you know, you can feel, at least I could, I can feel sympathy at some points in this movie for Dracula. Sure, of course. As like any great movie like this or great story like this, the, the monster, there's some sympathy towards him. Unless you're watching Wicked Silence of the Lambs. But... Generally speaking, you're going to find some moment of humanity within the monster. Of course, and and that's what makes him a compelling character, right? And we've talked a lot about Mina. Let's take it back from the film just a little bit. Let's let's talk a little bit about Winona Ryder. Yes, Winona Ryder. Um, Who in our age demographic, as a young adolescent boy, did not love Winona Ryder? Oh, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, she was, you know, and, and it's because she was everywhere. She was everywhere. She was super cute. She was. In, in movies that, that hit home, you know, that were, she played characters that were relatable and funny and, and you know, great. Here's a list of Winona Ryder movies. Uh, Beetlejuice, Heathers, Edward Scissorhands, Mermaid, Age of Innocence, Reality Bites, Little Women, The Crucible. I mean, these are some solid movies, that, and she was working hard. She was doing a ton of stuff at this time, and now she's... Uh, you know, the mom in Stranger Things. Yeah. Well, and then, and then you, you, you mentioned some of the movies, that, you know, the, the the Lucas, the Beetlejuice, the Heather. She was also in Great Balls of Fire, the, yes, the Jerry, yes, Lewis, yes. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis movie with Dennis Quaid. Edward Scissorhands and Mermaids, all before she was in this movie. Yes. And yes. she was 21 when she did this movie. Right. You know, so, I mean, imagine having that type of already career built and you're barely, you know, you're barely legal to drink. Right. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and she just she just had a way of playing this kind of, she could play different roles in period pieces, whether it was this movie, Age of Innocence, Little Women, but then she could also play that kind of modern '90s, you know, you know, reality bites, reality bites, yeah, tight in shit. that, yeah. And, uh, you know, she she could play kind of the, you know, she just she just really she had a lot of range. She was girl next door, mm-hmm. you know, she was cute. I, I think she adds a lot to this movie. Now she she hasn't had as much. Critical acclaim. Right. But she has had some. I mean, she's been nominated for Oscar twice for Age of Innocence and then... Uh, uh, was it Girl Interrupted or was it another one? No, it was actually for um, Little Women. Little Women, that's right. Yeah. And, here, and here's something that's uh, interesting about Age of Innocence. Is, you know, last week we talked Scorsese and Cape Fear. The next movie after Cape Fear Scorsese did was Age of Innocence. Yes. With this movie. Or with um, with uh, Winona in it. Um, so what's your favorite Winona Ryder movie? I mean, Heathers. Me too. I, I, I mean, think, I just, think it has just, to be. It I mean, it's be. just a cult classic. And, um, and Young went on a writer before she had her teeth fixed, by the way. I love that her teeth yeah. were a little bit imperfect, and that, yeah. there's a super cuteness about that to me. Yeah, no, I mean, well, it's, you know, Christian Slater, it's, you know, 
in the eighties when we we're in high school. Right, it was just right, a right. very cool movie. Um, now in two thousand twelve, this is kind of funny. She was in Fra- Frankenweenie, you know, Tim Burton right, movie, right? And she actually played Elsa Van Helsing. Now, right. I've never seen Frankenweenie, but I'm assuming Elsa Van Helsing is somehow related, somehow, right? You know, to uh, Abraham Van Helsing. But you know, she she's. She's had this great career, and, and you know, you think of her, her contemporary in this movie, Keanu. I mean, he really done a lot of stuff by now, too. Yeah, so Keanu, this is a choice that Coppola openly second-guesses himself about. He chose Keanu because he thought he needed some young, hot star that would connect with the girls. Hmm. Um, and I wasn't act- available? I got- <laughs> yeah, no, I, we were doing some college <laughs> what business. What were we doing, I yeah. guess, yeah. Well. Um, he wanted Johnny Depp initially, but he felt like he needed to have somebody that was a little bit more... Had a little bit more more uh, uh, pop, I guess, at that point. The girls liked Keanu. He was popular. He had been in a bunch of stuff. And Keanu has said publicly that he's a little disappointed with his work in this movie, and he said it wasn't his best effort because he had just come off the back of a couple of other movies, and he was just he said I was exhausted and I didn't have a lot to give. Now I don't know what movie I saw with Keanu Reeves where I felt like man he gave a lot, but. Well, not, he, you know, Dracula was 92, which we've talked about. 91, Point Break, and My Own Private Idaho came uh-huh. So, you know... That was a good one. My Own that, Private Idaho was a good one. And Point Break was, was I mean, good, che- yeah. cheesy, but still, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I watch it when it comes on. I, yeah, I, I watch it. Too. I didn't see the remake. I have no interest in that. Then, And a few years before that, he was in Parenthood. Remember his character in Parenthood? Oh, yeah, with the that's goofy right. haircut? That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, you know, Bill and Ted and all that. Mm-hmm. Now, do you know, was, was he Bill or was he Ted? I don't remember. Yeah, he was Ted. He was Ted, okay. He was Ted, and I think they made two of those movies? Yes, because there was Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey after Bill yeah. and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, and Now, Bill, this is interesting, played by a guy named Alex Winter. Everybody knows what he looks like with mm-hmm. the little blonde curly hair. And he's actually a British actor who was performing on Broadway at the age of 10. And he's still in the business doing stuff. He actually I, I just wrapped up a Frank Zappa documentary. So, you know, I think a lot of people go, well, what happened to this guy or wherever? And the, the funny thing is, he's a you know, very well-trained actor. Yeah, uh, he's doing fine. He's doing just fine. Uh, Keanu also was in Dangerous Liaisons. And yeah. I would have to watch that I'd movie again. I'd have to watch that to, to see, to see that. I don't remember small that. Part. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he's never won anything. No. Never. Not sure if he deserves to. <laughs> but he's got, a, he's got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And everything I've ever read about the guy is he's, like, really down to earth, really cool. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've never, um, matter of fact, on Reddit, there's actually a, a Keanu Reeves page where they, like, show all the cool stuff. I forget what it's actually called, but it's, like, being Keanu or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But from what I understand, he's, like, a really good guy. Like, you walked up to him and you saw him in public. He's, mm-hmm. you know, going to say hi to you. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take that over, like, you know, a really good actor that's a jerk. Right, right. Yeah. And we can bang on Keanu a little bit, but his he was fine in this movie. He was serviceable. He did what he needed to do. One of the guys who auditioned for this movie was Charlie Sheen. And I think this movie is probably better with Keanu Reeves in it. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and that was at Charlie Sheen's peak. Right. But I just don't see him, you know, I, I don't see it. You know, the one good thing about Keanu in this movie is, you know, this character, John Harker, is... You know, he's a lawyer, he's kind of serious, he's restrained. Yes, yes. And, and kind of that, you know, Keanu, I think, pulled that off pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I that. The role might not have had what, what what was needed to make it a great role, but he fit the bill. Mm-hmm. The only thing weird about it was when, when he came out and he escaped and his hair started getting grayer and grayer and grayer, and I was like, you got to find some better hair color. It's 1991, <laughs> right. call up so soon. Right, That's right, like the worst right. hair coloring props I've ever seen. I, yeah, I don't know what that was all about. I guess it was something with, with the Dracula and his bride's experience that was making his hair turn gray. Because then at the end of the film, when Dracula is taken down, his hair goes black again. 
So, yeah, 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 it's 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 very strange. So so real quick before we get to kind of wrapping wrapping the story up, we haven't talked much about Gary Oldman outside of this movie. Uh huh. So what I mean, you know, he was in a pretty you know hot spot here. He just came off of JFK in ninety one, the Dracula, then he was in True Romance in ninety three. You know, he did win an Oscar last year mm-hmm. for the Churchill movie. Uh, I think he's been nominated. Uh, I think he was nominated for Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy a few years ago. Where, where do you put him? I mean, obviously he's not up there with Al Pacino. But where where does he fall in kind of the hierarchy? Yeah, I think that's a great, great question. I think within this era where we are right now today in 2018, I think he's one of about five actors, five or six actors that you could say you could put him in a role and he's going to just crush it. I mean, he's not Daniel Day-Lewis, but he's probably in that next level of actors who are, are bankable from a dramatic standpoint. Well, he admits if you if you read about him, he he admits that he overacts intentionally. Mm-hmm. That that that's what he's wanting to do, and I think we've seen that, like you know, in the um, the Batman movies, and yeah, you and know. and he overacted as Winston Churchill, to be honest with yeah. you, but it was perfect, right? And you know, that's just part of his style. Mm-hmm. You know, he he wants to bring everything to you. Now, I thought this was pretty funny, and you know, he apparently him and the Golden Globes don't get along. He is fairly prickly from what I've read. I don't think he gets along with a ton of people. Um, I think that he and Coppola actually in this movie had quite a bit of friction. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, he's he can be a lead, be a strong lead in some movies, but I don't think he's an every movie lead. And, 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 that, and that's not a diss on him. It's because he's so good as a character. Right. I mean, my favorite character that he's ever done by far and away was the Pimpin' True Romance. Oh, yeah. If yeah, you've never so seen good true, romance, true Romance, you don't even know it's him. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and that's how great he is. And you got Samuel Jackson walking around it before he anybody knew who he was either. Everybody in that movie is yeah. great. That's and a... Get, get Phoenix in that movie. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, so, you know, I, and, and, but there's there's not been... I can't think... And this is probably what I would say about Holman. I can't think of a movie I've seen with him in it, whatever role he's had. And even if the movie wasn't great, he was good at it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I and I I think that's a fair statement. That's totally fair. Which if if you're, you know, not everybody's going to be Jack Nicholson and win three Oscars, mm-hmm. and maybe he eventually still will. But you know, if if it's somebody that I can count on to mm-hmm. be good, then that's a pretty good actor in my book. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So so here we are. Lucy's dead. She's in a casket, and Van Hel- Helsing. You know, he, he decides the only way we can. You know, she's really not dead yet. Well, she's undead. She's undead. We've got to. Cut up, drive a stake through the heart, cut off the head. Yeah, so so him and the three guys, they, they go down to her tomb. It's an underground tomb, and they go to get her body, and surprise, body's not there. Mm-hmm. And so then they all of a sudden see her coming back in. She comes in, and she's got a little baby or a little kid. Yeah. I mean, what are, what are, these, all these, what are these all these kids? I mean, what is, you know, were people reporting like, like missing kids back then? Amber Alert didn't exist, and kids don't put up much of a fight. That's true. <laughs> so, But then they taste good. Like chicken. Like chicken, yeah. I guess, I guess it works. So they pull out a cross and get her with the cross thing again. Mm-hmm. She freaks out. She slithers back into her little casket. And then right before they actually have Carrie Ella's or drive the stake into her heart, but right before she like totally does a poltergeist puke yes. all over. All over. Yes. But, but here's what's so great about this scene, too. You talked earlier about how her kind of fading look as she was getting weaker. And she's wearing this... I wouldn't call it beautiful, but a pure white dress. White dress. She's milky. Mm-hmm. Just this very kind of interesting look. So they finally not not you know kill her off, and then they decide we got to go kill Dracula now. You know we're on the hunt. 
And, so, and they don't know where he is. And so Mina is hypnotized, mm-hmm. and then they figure out, okay, he's at the castle in Transylvania. and so Yeah, and then he's and they're going to travel back, and they got to kind of find him. So they take a train, so they go to Transylvania, and they split up. So, so Van Helsing and Mima, Mina go to the castle to, to see if he's there, and then the other guys go to the port mm-hmm. where the boat was coming back from London. And so you kind of have this scene where – he keeps reading her mind, mm-hmm. you know, and once again, it's kind of, we get into this kind of supernatural Dracula, which is, is pretty cool. And this omnipresence and omnipotence and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then at the castle, you know, Mina's, we, we didn't really talk about it, but there was a scene before they left London where they got back together and, and Mina pretty much told Dracula, I want to live with you. Yeah. And he turned I want you to, yes, I, yes, I, yeah. I, yes. And we kind of skipped over that scene, but it's a real important scene. And, you know, he bites her on the neck and then he does this thing with his fingernail where he mm-hmm. cuts and she sucks all the the, the blood out. And so she's... And, and he's, he's like, no, I can't do this to you. Right. I can't bring you. After all of this ego business that we talked about earlier and this hunting her down, looking for 400 years to try to find her, that's like, no, I can't do this to you. It's too awful. Right. But she says, let's do it. So she becomes a vampire. So now she's with Van Helsing and the, the bride's around. So she actually tries to seduce Van Helsing, um, which is funny because when they first meet at Lucy's house, you know, much earlier in the movie, he does kind of pull this like kind of like trying to like seduce her or flirt yeah, with her type yeah, thing, yeah. which is kind of which is kind of odd. But anyway, you know, the brides come down, they they keep the brides away, and then at night, Van Helsing or during the daytime, it would be for the vampires, goes cuts all their heads off, and then you got the other th- the, uh, you got the three guys plus Keanu chasing the wagon, yes, that has. Dracula still in the box of dirt from the boat, heading back to trans- to the castle. Two great things I love about that sequence you just discussed: the, the scene where Van Helsing cuts off the heads of the brides and just tosses them over the mm-hmm. the landing. Um, the very next cut is to this big piece of roast beef on a dinner table. Is there yeah, 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 I love exactly. that scene. The first time I ever watched that movie, I was like, "Oh, that was a good one." Mm-hmm. And then as they're getting back, though, th- that scene is great because they're racing the sun to get back to the castle, mm-hmm. and it's a it, it's a great. Uh, movie scene, just a classic movie scene. Yeah, and and, and so then they they, they they get back there, they get back to the castle, and they're all fighting the gypsies and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I believe it's Keanu's character goes up to the box and is about to bust it open, and Dracula just explodes out of the box. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Keanu's got quick reflexes. I mean, he was a you know. He's a good surfer. He's good for you. He played football at Ohio State in that yeah. movie, too. Oh, yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> he like slashes, slashes his throat, uh, slashes Dracula's throat. And I find it odd how like easily Dracula kind of goes down in this fight. Yeah. Yeah. For, for somebody who can shapeshift and who can read your mind and who can... Do you think he was like, I found my love. It's time. Yeah. You know, that's really what I've been doing. That's like, I'm ready to die now. Maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah, because he could have very easily escaped that. I mean, we dealt with Max Cady last week. Yeah. Who was not supposed to be indestructible, but actually was. Dracula kind of is indestructible. Yeah. And I think, and I I don't know the motive behind the writer and the the character and that type of stuff, but, you know, if I was doing a character analysis and just kind of making the crap up, I would say that, you know, he was like, I found my love. I'm ready. Um, so basically, um, I think the cowboy guy or somebody gets a big knife in his heart. Mm-hmm. He's starting to die. Mina comes to his defense, gets a shotgun out, and basically points the shotgun at John, her husband, and says, when my time comes, will you do the same to me? And she drags Dracula into the castle, and you know he tells her that, you know, Give me peace. I, you know, give me peace. I'm tired. I mean, how tired would you be after 400 years? Right, right. And she shoves the knife deeper into his heart. He dies. 
pulls a knife out, chops off his head, ending Dracula. And I initially was like, well, she's a vampire. What's she going to do next? Because the movie just pretty much ends right there. They do a, 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 a scene, and they look up to the ceiling where you see the, the original fresca of uh, Vlad and his wife. Elizabeth. Yeah, and so, you know, kind of connect the dots on what kind of happens next because the story does end so abruptly. Right, so... Um, I, there's a, a scene at which um, Anthony Hopkins tells her, Van Helsing tells her that, that you have to cut off the head in order to reverse the curse. And so by her going in and cutting his head off, she actually kills him and allows herself to live a normal mortal life as opposed to this undead life. Now, an interesting thing about that scene is when the initial first cut of it was done... Uh, Coppola took it over and showed it to George Lucas, and they watched it together. And Lucas actually said that, that at the end of it, he said, you need to have Mina cut off Dracula's head. Because I don't know who he had killing him originally, but Lucas is the one who said, no, this is the way you have to do this to make this work. And I think it's, it's you know, we talked about that group of New Hollywood directors with, with Coppola and, and Spielberg and Lucas and, and Scorsese. And this is where that, that friendship of artists sort of came through in a major positive way, because I think that's a perfect ending for that story. Well, it's just a collaboration. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe maybe Coppola talked Lucas and they're making the prequels, and maybe that's why Coppola doesn't work anymore. <laughs> maybe that's <laughs> But yeah, so, so, so this movie, you know, like we mentioned several times, it came out in 1992. Funny, it came out on November 13th, and the only reason I think that's funny is... Two weeks after, after Halloween. Halloween. You kind yes, of missed the yes. Halloween buzz. But, um, you know, that's happened a couple of times. That happened with um, the great Tim Burton movie, Sleepy Hollow. It came mm-hmm. out Hall- or, uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and I know, you know you're trying to get that, you know, Christmas rush and, like, you know, the holidays and all that type of stuff. But this movie was made for only $40 million. And I, and I, you know, whatever the value of money was back in the early 90s, I still think with the special effects, the set pieces, mm-hmm. all that, you know, the, the actors... You know, forty million, and it, and it grossed over two hundred and sixteen million. So it was, it was successful in the box office. I don't know if that's domestic or international, but regardless, you know, more than five times. Five times is gonna. I'll take yeah. that bet. And you know, and it's you know, it's not the first time anybody made a Dracula movie. So when you when you think back at it, and and you know, kind of going back to what the premise of our, our our concept for this podcast is, when 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 do you want to see it again? I'll watch this one again. Uh, Next week, I'll watch it again if my kids or somebody else wants to watch it. I'd watch it again immediately. If not, I'll probably watch it again next year around Halloween in the October area. Uh, you know, the thing with these movies that you that you get into and rewatch, you watch them once a year or something. And you know, I might do that once or twice and then set it aside for a while. But I would I would go back and rewatch it again almost immediately. Yeah, I, I think it really holds up well. Um, I think in the right time and place of what you're wanting to watch. If you're wanting to watch, kind of, you know, it's not in your face Friday the 13th scary you know it's I mean it really it's a violent love story mm-hmm. and you don't and you know you know, we mentioned true romance on several occasions that's what makes true romance so great it's yeah. a violent love story and so you kind of can appeal to like a lot of different senses within that movie and yeah this is what I know last week I, I, I put a number on I, I don't think I can put a number on this movie no. because you know I, I will probably see it multiple you know I, I don't need to see it every year but I'll probably see this movie five to ten more times in my life sure I agree least. with that yeah yeah, uh, and, and and I think from a rating standpoint, if I had to slap a grade on it, you know, I would probably give it a a, a good A minus. You know, I, I can be pretty strict with it. I think really the only real weaknesses in this movie, you know, Keanu was a little flat. I'm not a big Anthony Hopkins fan. 
Oldman was fantastic. I did get a little bored with the whole, like, Lucy and the suitors and a lot of scenes back there. Renfeld, I don't even know what the point of that guy was. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, no movie's perfect. Right. There's a few nits to pick for sure. And and you can do that to every movie. So I'm going to give it an A-. I I can't argue with that. I mean, I think if you, in terms of rewatchability and enjoyability, I give it an A. In terms of, like, overall technical stuff, maybe a B plus, A- somewhere in that ballpark. Overall, loved it. Yep, that's good. I, I would recommend it. Absolutely. So, to answer the question that we set out to determine, this movie is still good. So, join us next time. We're going to have another movie. Um, we don't know what it's going to be yet. We're going to determine it before next week. Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter. Be watching for more episodes, and we will see you all next time. This has been a No Land in Sight podcast production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.